0: I've been looking forward to this all day. I know, you can't tell, but I really have been excited about this. Well, because, I mean, we're coming down to the end. We've got two more after tonight. I know, I'm going to be sad, but, but you can better believe it, I'll be studying all summer for when we start back up in August for the Book of Romans, and I'm looking forward to that study already. A um, couple of, of reminders. So, we, we meet tonight, the 1st of May. We meet next Tuesday, the 8th of May, and then the 15th. And also, just a reminder that Seth is going to be with us, leading us in worship tonight and next week, but the 15th, the very last Tuesday, he won't be here. He'll be on vacation, so we'll have to say goodbye to him next week. All right, Next week. And you don't want me to sing, so we won't do worship on the 15th. Alright? But what I would like to do, I mean, that's sort of our last night together. I want to do something a little, little special. I believe that between tonight and next Tuesday night, I'll be able to finish up the book of Hebrews. So I thought something that might be cool for our last night together on the 15th, and a way that after you, you sing your choruses tonight, along with Seth, that you could do with this piece of paper on your chair, is if you have, for the next two weeks, in fact, we'll do this, this week and next week, if you have a Bible question, something you want to ask me about, You can write it on that piece of paper and turn it into me after the mine is over tonight. Or next week, do the very same thing. And on the 15th, I will answer those questions for you on May 15th. All right? So that's what we'll do on the 15th. Cool? All right. Let's open up with a word of prayer, and we're going to turn it over to Seth tonight. God, thank you again so much for just being with us all day today, and Lord, your Spirit just encouraging us and refreshing us. And Father, even as we come here tonight, uh, we believe you are here with us, and uh, Lord, we just want to experience being in your presence tonight as we worship and lift up our voices in praise to you. So Lord, just for the next few moments, just help us to just be so focused upon you and just allow... Uh, Lord, us to just lift that praise up because, Father, Your Word says You inhabit the praise of Your people. And so, God, just be amongst us in a special way in the next few minutes as we just praise You uh, from our heart as well as from our lips. And we thank You, Lord, for Seth. And, Lord, just the great addition he's been to our Mind Bible study this semester. We thank You for his ministry, for his talents, for his gifts and abilities. And thank You, Lord, for using him to draw us into Your presence, and, and to f- just start focusing upon You on Tuesday nights. Lord, just again, use this hour that we're together tonight to just bring honor and glory to You. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Seth. Yes. Alright. Another good group on Tuesday evening. For those of you that uh, came in late, let me just remind you, we will be finishing up, our goal is to finish up the book of Hebrews between tonight and next Tuesday evening, so that our final Tuesday evening together, before we take a summer break on the 15th of May, I've asked you to take your song sheets both this week and next week. And if you have a Bible question... You can write it down and hand it to me at the end of the mine tonight or the end of the mine next week. And on May 15th, I will answer as many of those as I can get to in the time that we have together on May 15th. Alright? So, uh, I think that will be a great way to end our semester. And uh, touch on some things that you want to know about from the Word of God as well. Hebrews chapter 13 tonight. Hebrews chapter 13. We're beginning the last chapter of this great book of Hebrews. And uh, let me just say welcome to everyone here tonight, and uh, thank you for being here, and uh, hopefully again tonight's study will be encouraging to you. It has been said that last words are lasting words. So, you can imagine, the writer of the book of Hebrews, from the very time he began to pen chapter 1, verse 1, Uh, He's been trying to encourage these folks to hang in there, to not throw in the towel, to not give up, to persevere, to endure through all the the trials and persecution and suffering that they're going through. Uh, There is a purpose to it, and God is using it in their lives and the lives of others and all of that. So this is a tremendously encouraging letter. So you can imagine, we have been encouraged throughout our study But I really believe when he gets to the end here, he's like, I want to, I want to end on such a great note because it's going to be the last thing that they read. So uh, when we come to Hebrews chapter 13, we truly are, are uh, looking at some of the most inspiring words in the whole book of Hebrews because he wants to leave their, these thoughts in their mind as sort of the last things that they're thinking about as they finish reading this letter. We talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, I illustrated it by it, talking about the big rock illustration. And I'm not going to repeat that sad illustration. But basically, it's just the priorities. And a lot of times, it's like, what are the priorities? And at the end of chapter 12, we saw where every once in a while, God shakes things up. And He shakes things up in order to remind us... The difference between the things in our life that can be shaken and the things that can't be shaken. Between the important eternal things that's going to really last and between those temporal earthly things that sometimes we get caught up in, but we really shouldn't put as much of a premium on them because they're not going to last. So then as we move into chapter 13, what I think then he does and why he writes the things that he does is because these are the big rocks in God's eyes from God's perspective. These are the things we should be focusing on. These are the things that's really going to make a difference as we try to encourage each other and as we try to navigate some of the tough times in life and just keep persevering and keep enduring. So the very first one takes off a little bit differently on an aspect we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Notice what it is. Hebrews 13, verse 1. Brotherly love must continue. couple things. If you study, you know that... Uh, One of the reasons why God chose the Greek language as the language that the Bible would be written in, it was the most precise language on the planet. And unlike, say, in our English language, we have one word for love, the Greeks have four or maybe even five words for love, and they all mean something different. This word here is the word... Philadelphia, where we get the city of brotherly love, or I'm from that area, I call it the city of brotherly shove, but, uh, you know, if you're, if you're from that northeast area over there, you know, that's a pretty rough area, uh, but that's what he's using here, he's using that word in the Greek, and he's simply saying that there is this kind of love, a kind of love where we need to begin to build meaningful relationships with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ because we are in the family together. We have all been born into the family of God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We are in the family. Therefore, we need to let this brotherly love that we have because of our commonality with Christ, we need to let that continue. Uh, A couple things. The word continue then implies that, you know need to keep up with it. That that there may have been a time where because of what they were going through, as we said a couple weeks ago, our personal relationships can get sloppy. And maybe they weren't looking out for each other as much as they used to because they were looking out for themselves. And he's saying, let brotherly love continue. It must. Because one of the things that's going to help all of us navigate those tough times of our life is knowing we've got some meaningful relationships in our life and we've got some people who are going to be there for us to pray for us, to pray with us, to encourage us, to in a sense spiritually hold our hand and say, look, Even though God's with you through this, I'm here with you through this as well. And that's why he starts out chapter 13 with this very important comment, brotherly love must continue. Now to show the, not that we have to really remind ourselves of the importance of brotherly love, but let's do it anyway tonight. Keep your finger in Hebrews 13 and go back to the book of 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament. The book of 1 Thessalonians. One of my professors in college was actually from the city of Thessaloniki where the Thessalonians was written to. 1 Thessalonians. I want to start in chapter 4 and verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Notice that Paul says here, Now on the topic of brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you "...for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another." In other words, he's saying this is so important, this is so huge, that no human really needs to go around reminding Christians to love each other with brotherly love, because he says when we become Christians and we are in the family of God, that God Himself teaches us through His Holy Spirit and through His Word to love each other. In fact, I've shared this verse in the mind before. Romans 5.5 5 is a key verse. It says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that was given to us when we accepted Christ as our Savior. That's why I tell Christians, you don't, if somebody in your life is tough to love, you don't need to pray for God to give you more love to love them. You and I have all the love that we need. We just need to tap into the love we've already got. And I know there are some people in our lives that are a little bit tougher to love than others. But that love is there because the Holy Spirit is there. And we are taught by God to love one another. Then in the very same book, if you'll just go back a chapter to chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, look at verse 11. Here's one of the main reasons why we need to love each other. And this is practically applied to the Hebrews in their situation. 1 Thessalonians 3.11 Now may God our Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we do for you. Here's why. So that your hearts are strengthened in holiness to be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. He says there that there is a strengthening. And we've talked about this. A strengthening that takes place when Christians truly love each other as Jesus Christ taught us to love each other. We can be strengthened. So we can see then very clearly how practically applicable this was to the Hebrews and to us at times in our life. They were struggling to to endure, to persevere. And he's saying, if you guys just continue, and you must do this, if you turn your backs on each other now, you're going to consume each other. You're you're all going to start to... You know, that race we've been talking about, you're all going to start feeling like giving up. But if you start turning your attention towards each other and truly pouring out your hearts and loving each other the way Christ taught us to love one another, He says you all can strengthen each other in this race. You can gain strength as others love you. And then another great reason why we are to love each other, if you go back then to the Gospel of John just a little bit further back there in the New Testament, to John's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and go to John chapter 13. Another reason why it's so important to love each other is not just because we gain strength in those relationships, but it is the primary way God said that you and I, as His children, can be a witness and a testimony to those who don't know Jesus Christ yet. Notice what Jesus says in John 13, 34 and 35. First of all, He says, I give you a new commandment to love one another. Now, I'm going to stop right there. First of all, God taught us to love each other from the book of Genesis. So what's new about it? Here's what's new about it. Jesus said, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You see, the the newness of the commandment is that when Jesus Christ came down in the Incarnation and took upon Himself human flesh, He was able to flesh out what it truly meant to love other people. So that's the condition here. I'm asking for a new commandment, and the new commandment to love each other is based upon how I love you. Now notice verse 35. And everyone, everyone will know by this kind of love, that you are my disciples if you have this kind of love for one another. In other words, he's saying the thing that's going to really make an impact in this world, he says if if the church truly wants to make an impact in this world for Jesus Christ and to spread His fame around the world and to show others who don't know Christ yet what a difference He makes in our lives, the best way Jesus said that we can do that is to just love each other. And when they see a group of people who are truly living such a selfless life and they're putting the needs of others before the needs of themselves and on and on and on we could go, just as Jesus did, He said that's going to be the kind of love that really impacts other people. Because obviously that's not the kind of love we get in the world. We don't get that kind of quality of love in the world. We don't even get that quantity of love in the world. We usually get a conditional love. You know, I'll love you and I'll do for you if you do for me. You know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And Jesus takes that, that kind of love and raises it to another plane, a whole other level, and says, here's the level I want you to love each other on, just as I have loved you. And we can't say to God, God, I, I don't have the capacity to love like that. Jesus would say, you've got the Holy Spirit of God residing within you. Yes, you do. The love of God, Romans 5, 5, has been poured out in your heart. We just need to let the Holy Spirit take over. That's why the Bible teaches us to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. It's as we depend upon the Spirit of God that we love that way. That's why Jesus could say, love your enemies. Well, humanly speaking, that's impossible. Right. Most of the commands that Jesus teaches us in the Bible are impossible on our own. The key to being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not obedience. It's dependence. Because if I'm not depending on the Lord, I can't be obedient. I can't love my enemies unless I'm depending on God to love through me. All right. I know I've said a lot about love and all of that, but I just think that's important to hit on because it's the very first thing we enter into in Hebrews chapter 13. So let's go back there. And as we go back there, again, just some thoughts. One of the ways that we need to make the Bible practical is to take the principles we're learning about brotherly love and other things, and we need to say, okay, how can I apply that to my life? So I guess what I'm saying here, and I'm saying this to me tonight as well, is there a brother or sister in Christ tonight that the Holy Spirit is laying them on my heart? either by name, or I'm seeing a face, or something. I know they're struggling. I know they're having a hard time right now. And God is asking me, He's prompting me by His Holy Spirit, is there something I could do to just... Show the love of God to them in order to strengthen them at this difficult time in their life. To encourage them in some way. That's the way we take the Bible and we practically apply it to our lives. It's nice to know that in my head I'm supposed to love other Christians. It's another thing to be able to take a few extra minutes after I know that God wants me to love other Christians and be very intentional and strategic and say, okay... I know that I can't practically love every Christian right now the way you're asking me to, but maybe there's one Christian that I could truly make a difference in their life right now. There's one believer that I could come alongside of and I could encourage, God, who is that for me today, tonight, this week? And just let God's Spirit take that and I I'm, I'm just know my God well enough to know that probably by the end of the evening, you're going to have somebody in mind that God wants you to take this message of brotherly love and He wants you to share that love with them, to encourage them. We go on then to verse 2, and I'll stop here in just a moment. The next thing he talks about is not neglecting hospitality because through it some have entertained angels without knowing it. Great verse. First of all, the word hospitality in the Greek language literally means this. Lover of strangers. Lovers of people I don't know. See, verse 1 is teaching me to continue to love the people I do know. The people I already have a relationship with through Christ. I go to church with them. They're my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But the Bible also teaches us to, to also love those I haven't, I don't know yet. Um, now, this word obviously, in, in the context of where they're coming from... Hospitality literally was an important part of the early church. Because back then, Christians were, were uh, traveling around and they would need, because there weren't, you know, 1200 million hotel chains, uh, you know, and resorts and all that kind of stuff for them to stay in, that the places where they would stay are fellow Christians' homes. And they might not always know them. So there had to be this reputation built up from town to town and city to city that, oh, by the way, when you go to this town, go down three dirt roads and take a left where the horses are, and, and then you go to this house over here, and there's a great Christian family there. They'll open up their home to you and let you spend the night there. In fact, there were even these rules beyond the Bible to sort of govern that. That, you know, you weren't supposed to stay more than three nights. You know, don't take advantage of their hospitality. But hospitality was huge. Opening up your home, but it it means so much more than that. It just means to love those we don't know yet. Now, here's how we practically apply this at Cornerstone. Pastor Lynn has been talking about the whole reason, or one of the main reasons, I should say, that we wanted to build this building as a church was because of the empty chairs. Because we were filling up in that building and we wanted to make room for people that we don't know yet, but that we believe are here in this community who we don't know, but we love them even though we don't know them and we want to leave room for them in order for them to come to a church like this and hear about Jesus Christ and His love for them. That's, that would, that would apply here. That's love of stranger. That's loving somebody that I don't even know yet. So again, how can I apply this? God may bring somebody into your life even tomorrow. You've never met them yet. But God may have you cross paths with them because they need an encouraging word. They, they need somebody who'll just listen to them for a minute. It, it's maybe something totally random. But remember, with God, nothing happens by accident. And God may... Direct your path alongside of somebody else that you don't know. And that's why I always tell Christians that it's okay to have plans, it's okay to have schedules and whatever, but just make sure as you and I walk through the day that we are allowing the Spirit also to direct our steps because we may start out in this direction and the Spirit may want us to go here because there's somebody down here that He wants us to meet up with and share the love of Jesus Christ with as well. And it doesn't even have to be in a witnessing situation. It could just be showing them love in some way as Christ loves us. And the the motivation here is, he says, look, you realize that just to sort of keep us all honest, that every once in a while throughout history, God has sent some angels down here. And you've crossed paths with them because you didn't know them because they were strangers to you. And they were actually angels. And they could go back firsthand and report to God and say... Yeah, Jeff treated me pretty nice down there when I went down there. Yeah, he, he gave me a cold drink and uh, said, how was I doing? He had a smile on his face. That's pretty cool, God. Yeah, he, he did a good job. But I, I would hate to see an angel go back to heaven sometime and go, God, that Royce character, he was crabby today, man. He, he didn't say hi to me or anything. And, you know, I, and so God is just simply saying, because here's what the Bible has a lot of stories, where human beings were visited by angels in human form, looked just like us. They didn't know it was angels until after the fact we learn about it. Abraham was one of those. In the book of Genesis, it tells us Abraham was sitting by his tent one day. And here comes the Lord before Bethlehem with two angels. Abraham didn't know who they were, but he went out, he greeted them, he made them a meal. Well, actually, Sarah, his wife, made him a meal. He got it all together and all that kind of good stuff. And he welcomed them into his caravan, into his group of tents, if you will, back then. He didn't know they were angels at the time, but he was showing them love. He was being hospitable to them. So we need to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to love those that we don't know yet. Then verse 3, Remember those in prison as, those were you, as though you were in prison with them, and those ill-treated as though you too felt their torment. couple things. First of all, in this immediate context, He's talking about fellow Christians here who've been thrown into prison because of their faith in Christ. In the Roman government, they're, they're suffering for their faith. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to remember just people in prison in general, but I'm going to have a little bit different attitude towards someone who's in prison, who's there because of their faith in Christ, compared to someone who's committed some heinous crime and is there. Okay? And he's simply saying, as a brother and sister in Christ, don't forget your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who may be suffering for their faith. As we've even talked about here, uh, all over the world tonight, there are Christians who are in prisons, who are, you know, being tortured for their faith in Christ. And he simply says, don't ever lose that empathy for each other. Don't ever get... Nerve damage, if you will, in the body of Christ to where we don't feel another part of the body. Because remember, the Bible teaches as Christians, we are all part of the same body. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the eyeball, I don't need you. We're all part of the same body. We are all part of one body, Jesus Christ. And therefore, the one part of the body, the hand, can't be totally disconnected from the other part. And yet, sometimes that's the way it is. That's what grieves the heart of God. One day that's going to change because one day all true believers are going to be up there in heaven and there's going to be nothing to separate us anymore. No con, you know bickering over this or don't see this eye to eye or whatever. We're all going to be up there praising the Lord together. Ain't that going to be great? I know I said the word ain't, but it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So empathy. Another way we remember those we remember those in prison or those who've been ill-treated by praying for them. That's one of the ways we, we remember them. And I think another thing that's implied here in the Greek language is we can also remember them by being thankful for where we are and not taking that for granted. Again, going back to even modern day, there, some of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in China right now, tonight, are suffering because of their faith in Christ. But I'm here in America, at least right now in our history, we can assemble here at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Chandler without having to worry about some you know, guards or people coming up here and arresting us all and taking us all away somewhere. So, remembering them is not just empathizing with them and praying for them, it's also being thankful for where I am and what I have that maybe they don't have and not taking it for granted. And not taking for granted the Bible that we have. I mean, there are Christians all over this world who would die, almost literally die, to have a copy of God's Word. And to be able to read it, and to come to a Bible study like this, they would do anything to come to a Bible study like this. And yet in America, many times, because it's so readily available, it's like, eh, it's no big deal, you know, Bible study, you know. They would do anything to be part of a mind Bible study like this and to be able to learn the Word of God and get into the Word of God and worship God like we have here tonight. So remember. Remember. Remember what we have. Remember what others don't have. Remember them in prayer. And truly put out your heart there in empathy for them. Try to, as much as we can, even though we aren't experiencing what they're experiencing, feel the way they feel, as the Bible would say, weeping with those who are weeping and rejoicing with those who are rejoicing, we're all to be part of the same body, which all, that's why all three of these verses really tie into the whole concept of love and how important it is. And that's going to continue in just a moment. But before we get into chapter 13, verse 4, I want to open it up for comments or questions at this point. Show some love now. Show some love. All right. Well, in verse 4, you have a huge one. It really goes back to the foundation of love as well. And the writer of Hebrews says, one of the most important things that we could do is practice two things. If we're married, practice marriage fidelity. And if we're married or we're not married, practice sexual purity. That's obviously two things you don't hear a lot about today, but look at what God's Word says. Marriage must be honored among all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, for God will judge sexually immoral people and adulterers. Folks, let me just say, as a pastor for 23 years, one of the most painful things that I deal with is sitting across from a spouse who is in my office or we've met somewhere and they have have just discovered that their spouse is unfaithful to them. I mean, the pain of that. If people don't think that what we do and that our sin and how it affects other people is painful... Be with the hundreds of marriages that I have seen over the last 23 years that have been put through unbelievable pain and hurt because of a lack of marriage fidelity. Now, here's what I want to say, though, tonight. Please don't get God wrong or get me wrong. First of all, let's remember something. God created sex. And it's good. (laughs) And so don't get this unbiblical thing going on here that, you know, God's... When He starts talking about... Yeah. When He starts talking about... (laughs) You'll notice my wife's not in here tonight, right? She conveniently skipped out on tonight. Um, When you start talking about things like sexual purity and marriage fidelity, a lot of people take that way too far the other way. And we've got to come back to a balance and realize, first of all, God's the one that came up with it. Okay? He's the one that invented it. And he says, it's great and good as long as it's within the boundaries that I created it for. The only time it causes pain and problems and struggles is when it's taken outside of those boundaries. So within those boundaries, when he says the marriage bed is undefiled, he's basically saying, go for it. Have a good time. I mean, and don't feel bad about it. That's what it was all... You know, the Song of Solomon... God even gave us a book of the Bible, a whole book, that was basically written about sex between two people. The Song of Solomon. One of the most beautiful books that was ever written. In my Married and Loving It group that my wife and I lead here on Friday nights this past semester, we went through that with the couples. It's a, I, love the, I probably went through the Song of Solomon 20 times in 23 years. I love to go through that with, with couples, because in the right context, It's beautiful. But out of that context, it's ugly. It's ugly. And simply saying, guys, you're in a tough situation. And one of the things that happens when people feel pressured and stressed out and in tough situations is they make some stupid choices. And so he's saying to the Hebrews in the first century, just like he's saying to us today, don't get into a place in your life where you make a decision that's going to cause you and somebody else tremendous pain. Keep that sexual purity. Keep that marriage fidelity. That's so vital and so important. And again, the foundation of all that is love. If I truly love another person, the Bible says, I'm not going to take advantage of them in that way. As much as I may want it for myself, I'm putting the needs of myself before the needs of somebody else. And the Bible, Bible literally says when I do that, I'm defrauding them. That's not love. I'm not loving them. So again, we have seen where there's a pattern here, isn't there? He starts out in chapter 13 talking about brotherly love and he is just continuing this theme of love all the way down through these verses in some way. In some way, it all comes back to love. And that was the two greatest commandments. To love our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now let me say this. Because I would be remiss if I moved on to verse 5 without saying this. And it's not just about the verse we just talked about, verse 4. Yeah, there, there are people that mess up. But there is forgiveness with God. And God wants to forgive you and wants to cleanse you and I and move us forward again. So, if you're in that situation where you realize, wow, I'm in verse 4. That's speaking about me. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to be reminded, there's forgiveness with God, there's cleansing with God, and God wants you then to learn from that, and you to move forward in your life, and know that God will use you again, wants to use you again if you turn from that sin and will use you again. Alright? That's a guarantee from God. Alright? So remember that as well. That's just as important. But God just wants us to hold marriage up. And we all know marriage has been under attack in this country for probably about the last 50 or 60 years intensely. Intensely. And the church needs to hold marriage in honor and honor marriage, and sexual purity. That is important. Because we need to be distinct from the way the world looks at things. We need to look at things from God's perspective. Verse 5, Your conduct must also be free from the love of money. Here again, back to that love, because He says, as Jesus did, you can't love God and love money at the same time. Jesus says that won't work. It just doesn't work. So here's what he says. Your conduct must be free from the love of money and you must be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? God is simply saying, look, we could go to passage after passage where Jesus taught like back in Matthew Look at the birds. Look at the flowers of the field. Do I not take care of them? And if I take care of them, you are of so much more value to me than them. I'll take care of you. I will see that you have what you need. Not everything you want, but what you need. You just need to look to me as we say over and over again, Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Want. want. Be content. Learn to be content. Because it's God that we're ultimately looking to. To meet our need. The Good Shepherd. Not something else and not someone else. See, you can't, you can't fulfill my soul. Only God can. So if I look to another human being to try to fill that in my life, I'm just going to go from human being to human being to human being because only God can fulfill that. And I can go out there and I can buy all the things in the world to try to fill that whole, or void in my life. And none of those things are going to satisfy. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy. And He wants us to look to Him to be our helper. The one who will help us navigate and depend upon Him so that He can give us what we need when we need it. Because He knows best. In His wisdom, He knows what's best. Now, I do want to say this as a way of encouragement. Keep your finger there in Hebrews 13 and go back to the book of Philippians. I know we're doing a lot of jumping, aren't we? In Philippians chapter 4, the very last chapter of Philippians, I want to show you something that hopefully will encourage you tonight about this whole principle of contentment. Because contentment is something that even as a Christian, we learn. That's what Paul says here. So in other words, you and I just don't wake up one day and go, I'm content, God. Whatever. I just go with the flow and whatever. No. We learn, and a lot of times we learn through going through some good times and then some rough times. Some of you know more of my personal testimony and story than others of you do. You'll hear it throughout the times we're together. But let me just say this. After 20 plus years of being a pastor, 10 years pastoring in my home state of Maryland and 10 years in the state of New York, When we moved out here because of the pain that we went through as a family in our last church, we lost everything, everything that we had ever worked for. And after 20 plus years of marriage, we started out out here basically from ground zero. Like, wow. But again, you know, most people would think, well, after being married for 20 plus years and you just keep you know, improving and things get better, right? And yeah, you'd like to think so, but sometimes things happen. And sometimes God can use those terrible things in your life to to strengthen our character and to teach us to trust him more and to build our faith and whatever. And that's what happened with our entire family. In fact, if all four of us were here tonight, my wife, my son and my daughter, they would all be able to stand here and tell you the exact same thing that we are better for it. And we are stronger for it because of the things that we learned. Some of them through the good times and some of them through the bad times. And that's what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 10. He says, I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. Now, I know you were concerned before but had no opportunity to do anything. I am not saying this because I'm in need. In other words, I'm not trying to get something from you here. He says, for I have learned if you haven't marked that in your Bible, underline that word. I have learned to be content in any circumstance. Because I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment so that whether I am going satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the One who strengthens me. In fact, we use Philippians 4.13 a lot and we pull it out and it's great. It's a great verse, but notice the context it's in. That the strength that God is supplying through Jesus Christ to Paul is to help him to learn to be content and roll with life. The book of Ecclesiastes says life is full of adversity and prosperity. And God balances the days of prosperity and adversity throughout our life. In fact, you know what? I just feel like jumping tonight. Let's keep going back. Go back to the book of Ecclesiastes. I love this passage. Primarily because when I was growing up, I listened to the bird's song about this. Some of you are going, the bird's song about Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Yeah, turn, turn, turn. Exactly. Yeah. Now you know I, I was a flower child in the 60s. See? Oh, I'm not going to go there. I could tell you some stories. Alright, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes is what's called part of the Old Testament wisdom literature. It's part of five books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. Alright? All there together in about the middle of the Old Testament. In fact, Psalms is usually the easiest book to find in the Old Testament because it's so big. 150 Psalms. So usually I find Psalms, and then if you want Ecclesiastes, just go to the right of Psalms, and you're there in a little bit. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I love this passage. For everything, there is an appointed time, and an appropriate time for every activity on earth. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give something up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to rip and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. But look at verse 11. God has made everything fit beautifully in its appropriate time. I love that. You see, there's a time for everything we go through throughout life. There's a timing. But the cool promise of God's Word is this, that He can take the good and the bad and He can somehow make something good out of all of it in its time. In its time. See, when you and I are going through those yuck of life, that's not the time to make it beautiful. Because I'm not going to let God make it beautiful. But hopefully, there comes a point after some kind of pain that I have went through or that I've put myself through where I begin to heal. And as I begin to heal and my heart begins to heal, and our family had to go through this, there was a point where We never wanted to be in the ministry ever again. All four of us would tell you, I am never going to work in a church again. Never going to be in the ministry. We were hurt. We needed to heal from that pain. And as we began to heal, God began to work. And God began to heal us and restore us and refresh us and re-equip us. And we're going to be talking about this next week even more. For those of you that have, and we've all, I'm sure, at times went through some tough times, come back next week. I've got some encouraging words for you. But here's the thing. In its time, and if you give God time to heal you and to work, you can begin to see the beauty of what He's doing even through the pain that you've went through. Because you and I can then begin to see in its time how God is using this has used it, whatever. And we begin to get glimpses of it as we go on. Just like how I can stand before you tonight some four years after what happened to us in New York, and I can stand before you and say, even the fact that I'm doing Bible studies again and that I'm in the ministry again is showing how God can do something beautiful in its time. In its time. Give God time to work. And open up your heart to His working in your life. And let Him heal you. See, it's not that God doesn't want to heal all of us who've been through those painful circumstances in our life, but sometimes we like to hold on to the hurt and not give it up. Let me share something really cool with you out of the Greek language. The word forgiveness. The word forgiveness is a word that literally means let it go. Think about that. Let it go. God wants to let it go, and He wants us to let it go. That's part of what is involved with this whole thing of forgiveness. The longer I hold on to it, and I could have said, and we've all been there, so I admit, I didn't handle it well at first. But as God began to heal my heart, I began to allow Him to take it from me, if you will, and let it go. Because there was a time where it's like, I'm not letting this go because I want them to feel the same pain that I felt. I want them to experience what I have felt. And I had a great God moment with my God where He spoke to my heart and said, they can't feel what you felt because they're not ever going to be in that same experience that you were. So, you hold on to that, you'll hold on to that for the rest of your life. And it's only going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt them. Let it go. Give it up. And God began to heal at that point. So, I realize that Tuesday night, the mine is a Bible study, but me being such a counselor at heart too, besides a Bible teacher, sometimes I just feel impressed with the Lord to do some group counseling So anyway, let's go back to the book of Hebrews. The Lord will be your helper. Verse 6. Take that with you tomorrow. Remember, verse 5, that He will never leave you or abandon you or forsake you. Human beings will turn their back on you. You and I will have those fair-weather friends, those friends that are there for us in the good times, but in the bad times of life, They won't stick with us. We've all been there. We've experienced those type of relationships and friendships and all of that. The one thing we need to take with us is, but God never turns His back on us. God will never abandon us. God will always be there. And I have to walk by faith here. And we've talked about the importance of faith throughout our study of Hebrews. Because on those days where I feel like having that pity party... I don't feel like God's with me. We've all been there in our lives where we don't... If, if, it's, if I'm driven by my feelings, I don't feel like God is with me. I feel like He's abandoned me. And that's why the Bible says that those who follow God have to walk by faith, not by sight or by feelings. I'm not supposed to be driven by my feelings. I'm supposed to be driven by my faith. Now, God doesn't want us to be feeling less because He made us with feelings. But he wants our feelings to be guided and directed by our faith, not our feelings controlling our faith. Here's how I illustrate it. Some of you have heard this illustration before, and I'm going to take a question. I use the old game of the children's game, rock, paper, scissors. The game always made sense to me, except for one thing. I get that scissors cut paper. I I get that rock crushes scissors. The one that never made sense to me was this little thin piece of paper covering the rock. Come on! A rock is stronger than a piece of paper, right? And then again, I, I, as I studied this and thought about this and through my counseling, I realized, but that's the way we are as human beings. We allow the rock of our faith, Jesus Christ, to be overcome by our feelings, this piece of paper. And our paper, our feelings, is conquering our faith at that point rather than the other way around. We need to walk by faith. And even on those days where we feel like God's not there, He's abandoned us, He's forsaken us, where is He? By faith, I've got to say, but God, I know You're here because You said You would be here. Even if I don't feel like You're here. Question. Well, I'll just say this. Uh, back at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, let me find this real quick, because he's quoting from the Old Testament. And then, also, it's in the book of Romans. uh, In Hebrews... Okay. He talks about the righteous will live by faith. Let me try to find that. Anyway, let me look for that. Um, But that's really the way God wants us to walk and live life, is by faith. So, again, that just implies... Living by faith means I'm trusting in His Word, not trusting in what I see, not trusting in how I feel, but trusting in what He said. That's really the difference. I can give you a passage though that that illustrates that sufficiency, is Luke chapter 16. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and it it talks about how Lazarus, not the guy that Jesus raised from the dead, but another Lazarus, went uh, had had rejected God, and he ended up in hell, and he had five brothers. And he says to Abraham, they're having this communication, and God's letting us in on this, you know, conversation. And the and the brother in hell says, God, will, will you send somebody back to my brothers to tell them about this place so that they won't come here? And Abraham basically said, they have the word of God. If they won't hear the word of God, they won't believe even if somebody's raised from the dead. And it just shows us the word of God is powerful. As we said in the book of Hebrews, it's living, it's powerful. Is that rain? All of a sudden, I'm like, drip, drip. We'll see how strong the roof is in the new building. But yeah, yeah. Massive baptism here tonight. No, no. Uh, It just shows us the sufficiency of the Word of God. And that's where, you know, Jesus rose from the dead... What better sign does people want than the fact that He showed Himself alive after He rose from the There was a lot of people who didn't believe. Because if you don't believe the Word of God, signs don't bring about that faith. Signs are used in the Bible to confirm, but not to bring about faith. That's what the Word of God is for. And that's why Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God is what I put my faith in, not what I see. Because again, we all go through times in our life where It looks like God's abandoned me. Where's God? Or He doesn't, you know, if I'm just strictly looking at the circumstances, I've got to keep my eyes on Christ. Which again is illustrated there by like Peter walking on the water when he looks away from Jesus and he begins to look at the circumstances, the waves and the sea and everything, he begins to sink. And the whole premise there is, Peter, if you just had faith to continue to look to me and keep your eyes focused on me, it wouldn't have mattered how big those waves were. The problem is, like Peter, When the waves get rough in our life, we begin to take our eyes off Jesus and look at the waves and that's why we begin to sink and we need to get our eyes back on Jesus and walk by faith. But yeah, it's something we all struggle with. We all struggle with. Hebrews 10.38 Thank you. Hebrews 10.38 But my righteous one will live by faith and if he shrinks back, I take no pleasure in him. But we are not among those who shrink back and thus perish, but are among those who have faith and preserve their souls. Yes, and of course, that's an Old Testament quotation as well. And again, that's also repeated in the book of Romans that we'll be talking about next semester as well. Let me just wrap things up here for the next couple of minutes and I'll let you guys go. Although you probably don't want to go outside right now. (laughs) Hang around in the cafe and get a latte or something for a few minutes. Verse 7. Back to Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders who spoke God's message to you. Oh, this is funny. I had forgot about this because here it is here's again about faith. Reflect on the outcome of their lives and imitate their what? Faith. faith. There it is. In other words, he's saying, look, and here's the other thing. When times get rough, remember those spiritual leaders in your life that truly made a difference in your life and reflect upon their life, reflect upon how God used them in their life, reflect upon the outcome of their life. And they may be dead, they may still be alive, but He says imitate their faith. Again, I think all of us, to practically apply this, we could begin to go through the tapes of our memory and all of us could begin to recall a few people, maybe just a handful of people throughout our lives who spiritually speaking made a huge difference in my life. God sent them into my life at just the right time to encourage me, to maybe share the Gospel with me, to disciple me, to get me into the Word, to teach the Word, to whatever. But God used some of these people in my life, and all He's saying is, don't forget them. Don't forget the investment they made in your life. Don't forget the time that they took and the energy that they took. To, to try to build you up and mature you and grow you. So when you think about giving up, don't give up. And if it's not just for you, don't give up for them either because they invested in your life and they took their life because they thought your life was that important to do it. Think about that. Remember them. Imitate their faith. And then I love this. Verse 8, one of my favorite verses. Don't forget Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus is that unchanging rock. He is the same firm foundation today that He was yesterday and will still be the same tomorrow when you and I trust in Him. And that's what the writer of Hebrews has been saying for the last couple of chapters, back to chapter 11. All these Old Testament saints who trusted in God and God brought them through and Did so many wonderful things through them and used them and all that. And they weren't perfect. We all know that. They were just like we were. But because they trusted in Him, wow, what a difference that made. Well, the same Jesus Christ that used Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is the same Jesus Christ that can use you and me today, here and now. He's the same. He hasn't changed. It's talking about the immutability of God. God doesn't change which also provides some great stability in our lives. A stability that builds strength. Because again, we live in a world that is constantly changing. You and I don't know what we're going to face when we wake up tomorrow. Who knows what the world's going to be like and what the world's going to be and what my world's going to be and what I'm going to face. None of us knows that. The world is so unstable and insecure when you look at it just strictly from the earthly side of it. But Jesus Christ doesn't change. So there's a stability there. I know when I wake up tomorrow, Jesus Christ is going to love me as much tomorrow as He did today. In fact, Jesus Christ can't love me any less than He ever has. Or any more than He ever has. Because He's the same. He's the same. What stability that is. I know Jesus Christ isn't going to change His mind about me like other people have. Yeah, I could take Jeff for a while, but after a couple months, I had to distance myself from that guy. You don't know the therapy that I needed because... You know, why are you here? Oh, this guy Royce, he's just really, man. But. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. He has such a sense of humor. Uh, I know that when I wake up and go through life, Jesus Christ isn't going to say. You know, Jeff, that part about loving you well, I changed my mind. That, that doesn't work anymore for me. No. No. He is the same. And you can count on Him and His love for you and His faithfulness. and He's there. You just He's there. So the writer of Hebrews is saying to these Hebrews who are struggling to hang in there, he says, look, Jesus Christ is there for you. He has got your back. He is there for you. Just That's that's some great stability. Human beings are going to come and go. Relationships are going to come and go. Jesus Christ is there for you. And the other thing here, and I'm just going to set this up for next week, you'll notice that in verse 9, what does not being carried away by all sorts of strange teachings have to do with Jesus Christ being the same yesterday, today, and forever? Because what He said doesn't change either. God doesn't say, well, I... This is truth over here, but now I've changed my truth, you know? No, God doesn't ever change how He feels about things and what truth is. Truth is truth. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, His last words were, Petalios in the Greek, it is finished. It wasn't to be continued. It wasn't like, there's more after this. No, it was, it is finished. Boom, that's it. That's why it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you and I don't even have to worry about, well, okay, this is the Bible, but what if God has something else coming down the road? Well, guess what? It's the same yesterday and forever. He's never going to contradict what He's already said because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't be carried away by these new things that come down the pike, because if they disagree with what God has already said, He hasn't changed His mind about this. It's not like, well, you know, that was good for 2,000 years ago, but yeah, I re- you know, people today want to make everything cultural. Well, don't we have to interpret the Bible because of the culture? Because the culture is different today than it was 2,000 years ago. Guess what, folks? In God's eyes, sexual purity and marriage fidelity is just as important in 2007 as it was in (laughs) 7. So, no, it doesn't change. It doesn't change. Now, some of the ways that we apply the principles and truths of God's Word certainly change because of our culture. But the principles don't change. The message does not change because Jesus Christ is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. You guys are great. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, thank You so much for encouraging us again tonight through Your Word. Lord, I pray tonight as we all leave here that we know we're going out that door with You. You've got us. And uh, You're not leaving us. And Father, whatever we're going to face tomorrow and the rest of this week and the rest of this month and whatever, for the rest of our lives, God, You're right there with us and You're going to make everything beautiful in its time. God, heal our hearts, we pray tonight, and just encourage us to keep on keeping on. Lord, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we've all been there. We just wanted to throw in the towel and give up and say, the world would be better without me. I just want to leave this place. But God, something deep within us said, no, you're going to keep on moving ahead. And you might not even know how you got there, but I'm going to carry you and you're going to keep on moving ahead. God, help us to encourage others as well because tonight we've been reminded about how important brotherly love is. And help us to seek out and strategically go after some of our brothers and sisters in Christ who may be hurting and in need of healing and in need of encouragement and strengthening. And use us, Father, as that strengthening instrument in their lives. For Your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are great. Have a great week. And to see you back here next week, don't forget, write a question if you want to and give it to me.